Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast, Science Talk, posted on February 15th, 2012. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... When Bill and I um, program computers, and we now do it only recreationally. I do. We mostly respond to email. Right. But, but in those days, in those days, you, know, you, could, you could hold the whole thing in your head. You know, Bill's probably one of the last people that held the whole operating system in his yeah, head. I, I had the whole thing under my control. Right. That's Danny Hillis, co-founder of the Long Now Foundation and author of The Pattern on the Stone, The Simple Ideas That Make Computers Work. And Bill is Bill Joy, co-founder of Sun Microsystems and author of the well-known Wired magazine essay, Why the Future Doesn't Need Us. They were both at the Compass Summit in October in Palo Verdes, California, where they and other technology, business, and creative leaders met to talk about global challenges and economic opportunities. Scientific American was the conference media partner, and our executive editor, Fred Guterrell, joined them for a conversation about the future of the technological world that we're building today. You'll also hear the voice of media entrepreneur Juliet Powell. Here's Fred. Danny, tell us what the entanglement is. So I, I guess I believe that we're, humanity is entering a fundamentally different age of how we think about the world in the same sense that the Enlightenment changed our image of our relationship to the world. I think we're switching into something new. And that something new has to do with our relationship with the artifacts that we've created with technology. Uh -huh. So it used to be that there was the natural world, which was very complicated and too complicated for us to really understand. And it was sort of mysterious. And, and then in the Enlightenment, we started believing it, it behaved according to a set of rules. We could embody those sets of rules and machines we built. And in some sense, we could create things that were embodiments of our rationality. Right. And, and so the revolutions that happened in computing was sort of the ultimate example of that, where we could build things that we completely understood, and they were digital, and they did predictable things, and they were understandable. So now you, you think this is an old worldview now. We're switching to something else. Yeah, I think that was, in some sense, that Enlightenment idea peaked out with the invention of the computer. And so the, and that what was the, it, so the ultimate expression of it. And so the computer was that we embodied us. rationality in a machine or some some version of it. Um, but what's happened though, and I don't think most people have realized this happened yet, is that our technology has actually now gotten so complicated that we actually no longer do understand it in that same way. So the way that we understand our technology and the most complicated business of technology like the Internet, for example, or almost like we understand nature, which is we understand pieces of them, we understand some basic principles according to which they operate, but we don't really understand in detail their emergent behaviors. And so it's perfectly capable for the Internet to do something that nobody in the world can figure out why it did it or how it, how it did it. And it happens all the time, actually. We don't bother to, and but many things we, we might not even be able to. I mean, I've had the experience of, you know, you call the IT department because something's not working and they just scratch their heads and they say, you know, I just don't know why it's yeah. not working. I mean, there was a great example where the Australian election system couldn't tally the votes. And the reason was, was because some site, Sun Microsystems, had gone down and somebody... <laughs> 
you know, when they wrote the Java program that they had actually copied a piece of example code that referred to some Sun server and nobody ever noticed that the system was dynamically it. loading it from a machine yeah. which was down. Yeah. And so, you know, some somebody turned off a machine in Silicon Valley right. and they couldn't count the votes in Australia. That so, sounds and, that sounds pretty entangled. Yeah, and, and so it's, a, it's an entangled mess. And now it's just on the ability for us to be able to figure those things out usually. But, for instance, you know, when Y2K came along, right. people genuinely didn't know what it would be. People genuinely don't know what would happen if you turned off GPS or, you know, the Internet went down or something. Now, you, you were one of the ones who said that nothing would happen in Y2K. I, I did in that case, and, and, and I guess I the reason I'm... I think it's worth noting that is that I'm not a Cassandra, but realizing that I, I think then you could still figure it out. Right. But I think since then, it's evolved to the point where you really can't. Well, um, you know, RIM may have had their own Y2K thing here. They didn't. I'm not sure they really know why their system went down. I discovered uh, this many the, years ago. I had a lot of computers at Berkeley, and I was just networking them together really for right. the first time. And one day they all crashed and they wouldn't come back up because there was these dependencies between. And what's happened is these systems have gotten so complicated. It used to be that if something crashed, you could just take a snapshot and look at it and try to figure out what's right, going on. Right. But people can't root cause diagnose why they don't work anymore because they're too complicated. And part of this is the fact that they're written in C, which is a programming language which really isn't suitable for writing large programs. Right, right. And so the system doesn't have a semantics. It doesn't. It actually, in a deep, very deep sense, the program does not have a meaning. It, 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 a formal meaning. What it has is it's just whatever happens. Right. And that's kind of the way nature works too, right? I mean, you could say we have these names for plants and animals and all these, th they're, they're just our own little fictions about what's going on. The, the truth is these things don't really exist. The things are just happening. It's nice for us to be able to categorize things and try to make sense of it, but there's a deeper level at which species, that's just a convenient thing that we, you know, all these things, these names we put on things are not the real description of what's going so, on. So even the idea of cause and effect sort of assumes that there is kind of a contract of something, right. you know, is sort of single cause or something like that. But if what things do is just what they do. Right. We were, we were talking mean, about cancer uh, tumors just, just well, earlier and, and uh, about, uh, you, you know, how... Uh, I, th I think you, it was you who was saying that uh, you know the tumor grows very quickly. Uh, all, it almost springs up all at once, and it's almost more not that it not that it, it acts as like an, inf an inf infectious thing, but it's like almost a failure of the the, the rest of the body t to prevent the tumor from growing. Is this yeah. is this the kind of well? So that's yeah, that, and, and we're used to that in biology that you don't quite understand it. Nobody would expect that you could absolutely predict how a human body is going to react to a drug or something like right. that. But we're not used to that in our technology. So that's what's interesting is now we're not just nature is like that, but in fact the things that we've built right. are like that. So, so when Bill and I when Bill and I um, program computers and. We now do it only recreationally. I do. <laughs> mostly, mostly respond to email. Right. But, but in those days, in those days, it's you, a hell you've created. So yeah, you could you could hold the whole thing in your head. And, you know, right. Bill's probably one of the last people that held the whole operating system in his yeah, head. I, I had the whole thing under my control. Right. And 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 now there is nobody that holds the operating system in their head. So it what is, does this and, mean? And so people program by putting together things they don't quite understand and gluing them together and hoping that they sort of, I mean, you know, kind of guessing how they'll behave and fixing them if they don't. 
So where's this going? I mean, what, what is this all? Well, but if we take we take it to another level, which is you know, maybe another way for the uh, entanglement is the um, Anthropocene, right? I mean, and that our relationship to the environment is now we're in, in we've become part of it, right? With right. global warming or whatever, um, or in biology, it's sort of you know not man apart. We're we're in we're you know we modified the the ecosystem of North America when we came here. Mm-hmm. So, but this has become almost inevitable now and these systems are too complex to understand yet we're we're screwing with them so you you know you you cross a line where you uh you have things you don't completely understand but you have to also behave responsibly for and manage which is uh you know it's a you know the precautionary principle and all that are part of this but it's worse than that because you know how can we know what the right thing to do is? It's, it, it, you, you, you don't, you know that you're responsible, but you can't predict what any action is going to take. You know what, what the consequence of any action you take is going to be. So you left with what the Hippocratic Oath, but that's not going to work either because you can't to do nothing. You know, it's like right. uh, so it's like the laws of robotics to do nothing. It, you, you know, it's it's not okay to do nothing and thereby cause harm. But you, what you do, you don't know what it's going to do. So it's a big responsibility that you've taken on, and we've created these systems we depend on, but we can't, you know, especially if it's Windows in there, we can't fix it. It's 50 million lines of really crappy, it's a triumph of implementation over design. There is no design, it's just a bunch of typing, and it's a big mess, and that's why all these companies got attacked, is people who wrote this, it was just, it's sloppy, Right. right? And these systems are, in some sense, sloppy and mucky, and... Yet we depend on them. So now, what are we going to do? So, so I think we, two things we're going to do. I think first of all, you have to recognize that. First of all, we have to acknowledge that this is the case. So I think right now people assume that there's some expert someplace that actually understands. Right. It. And since you know, and since we used to be the experts that actually understood it, I can tell you they don't exist anymore. <laughs> okay. And and so that was you know maybe in 2000 we still did, but. Right now, we actually don't anymore. There, I really don't think there are any experts that you know. There are people that understand more bigger parts and smaller parts and so on. But um, so, so people have to sort of get over the idea that there's an expert someplace that understands it. I think and the then thing once you do that, then I think one of the things we need to do is we need to decide if we're really depending on something, then we might need to make an alternative, lower-performance version of it that actually people do understand and that we can depend on. But I think the other thing, the other assumption we've made is that we can continue to do things the way we did them in the Iron Age and so on, and that we've, we're building our society on things which are not abundant enough to be sustainable. And you mean like fossil fuels and water and fish and uh, everything, yeah. And so what we've done, biology organized itself around things that were crustily abundant, but our society is not organized. If you, you know, one of my favorite charts is the log scale, the distribution of elements versus their atomic number. Mm-hmm. And you look at some of the things we depend on; they're not very abundant. Now, you know, there's another overlay on that, which is how much are they concentrated by geology? Because you can be rare. Crustily, but relatively easy to mine to some level because the geologic process through some chemical means has concentrated it. But if you put a lot of pressure on that, you've, you're going to run out anyways, right. right? So we have entangled ourselves with something that's in relatively short supply. Are you talking or about has rare earths? Like that's, 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 that's just the tip of the iceberg, yeah. right? 
uh, oil rarers, fish, you know, you can go on and on. But the point is that if we're going to be sustainable, you know, we need to be more energy efficient and all that. But we also, if we're going to give things to six, seven, how many billion people, they they got to be made out of things which are more like green chemistry and non-toxic and out of out of crustily abundant materials. You're more like it's more likely to be based in the future out of uh, silicon, silica, a silica-based thing or a carbon-based thing than a steel or a titanium-based thing because you know the amount of energy embodied in the steel or the relative expense, which reflects the scarcity of those other things. And that's kind of the stuff that we've been working on, which is to find things with good properties that don't have a huge amount of embodied energy or depend on really rare materials. Because we just can't work. You see the volatility in the commodities. It's we can't solve this by simply trying to mine more at some point. But I, but I think the, you know, tying it back to the uh, whole computer thing, the idea of having conceptual systems that really are well thought out so they're simple and easy to understand so you don't have all these mm-hmm. uh, configurational problems that happen when you start combining them all together because then it all be- sudden becomes more like a weather pattern, very unpredictable. Right. Uh, maybe, you know, only predictable if you use chaos theory or something right. like that versus something that's far simpler. But it takes a lot more time to come up with that simple solution uh, to the problem. Well, that's an interesting idea. So, that, so then, basically, we're, we're, the internet has become this wild thing that we don't have any control over. That we really don't we have some control, control over. Some not. control, but we don't understand it really. We don't know quite what it's going to do. And then uh, uh, we need to build smaller systems within that that we can predict. Is yeah. This, well, now that we have a better feeling of, of how it works. Maybe we can come up with a far simpler way of doing it, just the same way people are now coming up with $200 computers. You right. Know? They understand basically what needs to go into it. Now let's find a cheap way to put it all together. There's a paradox in the Internet in that when DARPA designed it, it was supposed to be highly redundant. Like there's lot, But the economic forces actually drive it to be less redundant because co-location has economic advantages. So you tend to get very highly connected, large nodes that drive most of the traffic. I see. And so it's far less, in my view, it's far less robust than we think because if you took a few of these out, right, the thing would just overload. Right. I mean, the whole thing so because you can take it. So, so 80% of the capacity can be taken out right. by a relatively small number and, of cascading failures. And that would have economic failures. consequences. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to attack the whole thing. Well, I too. think there's another flaw in it, which is the robustness. That it was designed for is because at the time that it got designed, nobody trusted the phone company to keep the lines up. Right. It's very robust against lines going down. Although, as Bill points out, maybe we've even optimized that robustness out of it. But it, for instance, it did assume that you could trust the sysadmins that would, you know, right. because they all knew each other and we all trusted each other. So it was, so, the assumption was there weren't bad malicious people on the internet. So right. you would sort of handle everybody's traffic and assume nobody would be unfair about how much traffic they sent you and, and so on. Well, so that, I think, trust assumption is inverted now. Communications lines are very robust and right. reliable. Um, but but 80, upwards of 80% of messages. But there's bad guys on the network. Right. And those bad guys are happy to subvert it in any way that they can. And so if you had 
known that when you designed the network, it would have been designed very, very different. Well, it doesn't have a metab- it doesn't have a metabolism because there's no friction in the system, right? There's no feedback. So as long as the cost of injecting packets is essentially zero, then this will occur. You know, in the postal system, there's a limit to how much junk you right. can send because it costs you money. In nature, you know, there's, there's generally a balance. If you if you if you overpopulate you starve or something. You know, there's some sort of something pushes back against you, if not a predator, some environmental limit. In the internet, there's no effective limit on the system wasn't designed with that kind of um, balanced thinking in it. We can now go back seeing how we what the actual problem is and say, okay, if we're actually going to depend on this network, then maybe it has to have some different properties. And maybe we don't need the maybe this the properties it has may be fine for viewing YouTube videos. Right. But they're probably not fine for calling up the fire station when your house is right. on fire, or you know, or, you know, or, uh, having um, doing a bank transfer, or right. something, uh, something like that. Is so, this something that people are working on, or is this uh, just an idea that you you've had? Bill and I have been working on yeah, a little bit. We've been working on a little bit, but you know, it's the problem but, is the economics. The, the, the economics doesn't pay for security and reliability. It pays right. for average case. And so the system that, you know, the, the, the system right now doesn't value. And even even with a traumatic event that took the whole thing down, people would forget very quickly and uh, probably people revert to the same behavior. Forget that it's actually happened a few times that the Internet has gone down or right. much of it has gone down. Like when the worm came out. Yeah. And, those well, were, and those weren't even malicious. Those were accidents. What I mean, so this is kind of scary, really, when you look at something like, say, uh, you know, Stuxnet that that was able to, and that was a very targeted right. thing, but it was a very, uh, you know, in, in the wrong hands, that would be a pretty scary um, yeah. bit of malware. Um, you could imagine a, a, another version of malware yeah. that t- takes everything down and yep. really wreaks a lot of havoc. I mean, are, yep, we could easily imagine that, and I I think there's actually now. People have responded to this by saying, well, cybersecurity is important. Let's get it under control. So there's lots of effort to, you know, we have a cybersecurity czar. We have a, but all of that is oriented toward, well, let's enforce the rules on top of this very shaky foundation that's right. been built. Nobody's saying, well, maybe we should to the simple, maybe we should build this simpler thing over here. That's the we used to have the ham radio right. for communicating when the phone system that's went right out. for an emergency. And, and, and you know now the you know now the hams to the degree that they're left are running internet protocols. But the thing is that most of the people who are doing internet startups, I'm not sure they know how to program in the way that we programmed, and they certainly don't understand why the system is the way it is. You know, and so Danny and I are old enough that we could still, we could design a new internet that was nothing like the internet we, it would, you know, it wouldn't be based on the principles of, you know, datagrams and universal addresses. It would be based on something completely different and it would have different weaknesses, right? I mean, it's like yeah, signal and noise. You, you, you know, you can, if you want signal and noise and the total has to be, you know, the, the total capacity of channel is limited, right? Right. Yeah. And so we would move the signal and noise around. You know, in, in a way, we would so, we would waste yeah. bandwidth for simplicity and reliability. Whereas right now, it, you know, when the AT and T people came to me 25 years ago and they couldn't believe that anyone would ever do phone calls on the internet, when I said to them, I said, well, they said, the packets might get delayed." I said, "Well, just send them three times." 
You know, whatever the probability right. is, I'll send them three different ways. Who cares? It's no, and that just was inconceivable. What a waste of bandwidth. Right. But the honest truth is, it's it's insignificant. If you sent every phone conversation on the net three times, it would make no difference at right. all because it's just drowned out by the video streams. So the capacity exists, but we're not using that capacity in the service of simplicity and reliability. We're using it in the service of we're just we don't we don't even distinguish roughly between a lot of these kinds of traffic. I mean, there's some attempt to do it, but it's really really not it's not fundamental to the way the system works. So, so what we're thinking about is rather than trying to prop up the current shaky system, which actually works very well for many purposes, build a simplified system to the side, which has these other properties of right. robustness, and uses the bandwidth differently, as, as Bill said, right. for robustness, security, identity management, you know, things that the internet doesn't do well. And we have to have a we have to find a, a business case for building. The part of it that still works when the internet is down. Well, I would think that when the internet is, we know it. You know, yeah. So, so ba basically, we need a, a really bad disaster that people have trouble forgetting. But we, no, we, no, we need is we need it. Well, no, no, we need a way of our system having the wind at its back, because if we can't find an economic force in normal times that drives our system to get larger, and it actually would have to outgrow. It has to grow as you know faster, faster than the internet. It has to have some other reason for being, or else we'll be, we'll continue to shrink relative to the incumbent. And so, how will we ever have enough scale? Right. You know, we have to get enough. It's like bringing up a new cellular network. It's not useful unless it's ubiquitous. So, how could we? Now, we can maybe use the existing internet for some of this, but we have to cause our own thing to get deployed right somehow. So, there has to be. I don't know. In the government, I don't know if can afford to do it. Right. Um, Not because it's expensive, but because the government is actually going to spend way more money than it would take to do it on shoring up the existing system, and that's a. But we, we need we so, need it to be we need it to be a natural force that spreads yeah. it because yeah, otherwise I, I we can't we can't do it on government. planning right. It right. has to be. So how, so how would that happen if it's not? If that's, it's what not just, that's, that's what that's what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, we have so, to have some. We have to have some. But I mean, you, you can see the changes. You know, look look how fast the iPad got adopted. It has to have some other thing it does. That's so desirable that it brings it into the world. So we want to have these abundant things that aren't so environmentally impactful that we can take to scale. So how could they possibly make it in the world? Well, they have to be better or cheaper or some combination. They have to have some additional virtue. It's not enough for them to be virtuous, to be you know green and, and wonderful. They have to. If, if we want to transition to more sustainable, they got to have some other reason to get pulled to the marketplace. It's not enough for simply. To people to do it for charity. We don't have enough money. What other reason would that be? What, what would it that could be, be better. There well, maybe there could be some very intensive application. Maybe, you know, just like the original uh, ARPANET set up, uh, you might have a laboratory system that has very high demands being placed on stability. So set up this village where you have some kind of a test case. And then if you can show the virtues of that system, right. then there's going to be other people that want it. Just like when people start replacing copper with, with glass, you know, as a way of getting information across. So, for example, this new system could guarantee you 100 millisecond latencies as possible any, uh, anywhere on the globe. That's or, actually that's quite difficult actually because that's roughly that's yeah, roughly that's, the best you can do it. That's very tough. But, so let me give you another two hundred milliseconds is possible. Let's, let's say this. We could guarantee. What, what does that mean? Two hundred two hundred millisecond latency. Well, I mean, so in a fifth of a second, if you give me a packet of a bounded size and you have to pay a certain amount, 
it's not going to be free. I guarantee to get it somewhere within that amount of time, 99 point some large number of nines percent of the time. And Which is you more reliable given, than... Well, and if I gave you that, you could build services on top of that you can't build on the Internet because the, now, I, if that was my property that I expected yeah, to ride to solution, I would have to, I would have to have an economic case for that. But I could, I could implement a property okay. like that if, if that was the one or, we wanted to do. Or here's another example. In a completely different dimension, imagine if you had a mail system that you never got spam on. Ah, yeah. That's, so the reason you get spam fundamentally is because we built it on this very shaky foundation. You can't really tell where something's coming from, and and so well, you don't get that in Facebook, right? Because in Facebook, only your friend if you're only your friends, if it's all whitelist. But then, how do you find new people? You know, so there's a, there's right. a tension. I actually think the way to solve that is to charge people. I don't mind if people pay a dollar, and they can pay half of it to me. So every time I get a spam, I get fifty cents. I'll I'll, I'll deal with that. <laughs> you know? But you have to pay. You have to pay to get in my inbox, and I can set that number to whatever I want. Interesting. Or what if you you created a side community? So everyone that's on Facebook that, for example, wanted to do microtransactions. So instead of necessarily going through their banks or going through their mm -hmm. geographical restrictions were able to deal with their friends, share with their friends, and do financial exchanges with their friends with, by cutting out the middlemen. But you couldn't do it on the Internet. You could do it on this other thing. You can do a barter economy. You can create a barter economy. Right. So in other words, all of these people would navigate towards mm -hmm. it naturally, and because all of your friends are there, you would want to The governments will make it illegal because it's a form of tax evasion. Well, yeah, but that's a whole different issue. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true, though. As long as you're not too successful, you're okay. <laughs> so are you guys trying to save your uh, save the world from the... Uh, from the thing that you created, <laughs> well, the we didn't. We, we, weren't, we didn't create. We didn't design the packet switching architecture. That wasn't our. I'm not sure it was the wrong idea at the time. Did you? Did you implemented IP on Unix? I implemented it so it worked. I, 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 so maybe deserve, I'm responsible. You deserve part of the blame. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> the uh, um, yeah. I mean, I think the thing is the thing is is the unfolding part. We can create the. We can we can write or get some people to write the code for the idea in a, in a very small bounded amount of time. But the real critical thing is to, to is you know yeah, when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, he didn't try to attack the PC directly. He waited. You know, it's like you don't yeah. don't, don't sit, sit on the bridge and wait. Don't 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 wait. Just sit. You mean you have to, you know, um, you have to pick your spot. So you guys are waiting for your. Like, We're not even waiting. We're just, you know, so we got to be prepared, right? And, and and then the opportunity will will argue for itself. It's not like we're. We're worried about it, right? I have to ask you, what do you, what do you, Bill, what do you think, um, uh, you wrote this story, this essay, uh, 10 or 11 years ago. Um, are you still worried about the, uh, about the future, about machines and, um, I'm more worried about pa bio biological pathogens because uh, of the, you know, if you do epidemiological studies of how connected we are in global travel, it's pretty, most airports don't even have quarantine anymore. You know, I mean, it's just no. There's no point. So, um, well, you're not I know that I, I think the public. I, I think we need to invest more in public health and early monitoring. And you know, Larry Brilliant was working on some of that stuff. He called right. instead. But we we need to have monitoring and early diagnosis and rapid. You know, Craig Venter was telling me you know they can now make a vaccine in seven days or something. We need we need to. You know, there's that movie that just came out. I mean, but that's really, yeah. But the, the point is, we have the technology now to sequence and manufacture vaccines really quickly. Not, you know, and ideally they wouldn't be 
grown in eggs or whatever, right? So they, right. that, you know, because that, what if it starts as a, you know, <laughs> a, a virus in chickens or something, and we then we're screwed. Right? right. Well, it also takes so long. It takes so long. We, we want to be able to make, make yeah. it much more quickly. So we need to... One, one, one of the things I think is very promising is uh, making contagious vaccines. So, Chris, so that's a that's a that's a, gene, that's a genie we do, that that it's very close to a <laughs> fertilizer and weapon. No fertilizer and weapon are adjacent, <laughs> right? One of those problems. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not worried about um, right. machines, artificial intelligence. You were no, I was about, always uh, more worried about the biology. Uh, it was just easier to argue that there was a problem with three examples rather than one. But it's clear that the you I know we're, we're biological, so the but you know the viruses also exist in the in the information network. And I didn't right. talk about those, but those are those are more dangerous to our economic system, not so much to our. I suppose it threatens us, you know, if nine one one goes down, but not at the same level that. So I think it really does threaten us if the internet goes down at this point. But our existence. But the interesting thing we don't know. Well, no, I, th- I think you could have a problem getting food into cities. You know, our, and now whether that's true yet, I don't think. We know, but will it so be true within 10 years? We don't yeah. think the Internet is reliable. Despite your optimism about Y2K, Danny, you don't think the Internet no, is reliable. No, I don't think it's I don't, I don't think it's reliable enough. It's on. not going to be easy to fix. Well, I've heard that argument about the power grid, that the power grid is very vulnerable to it. Well, the power grid is, is even more vulnerable than the Internet because the power grid is starting to depend on the Internet like everything else is. Right. <laughs> <I guess so>. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a cat but, chasing its tail. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, at least, at least in that right. situation, you know, we're reaching, we're starting to come to an inflection point where d- distributed renewable energy will be as cheap or cheaper than the grid because solar and batteries and small scale wind will start crossing over. So we're, I think in the third world, it's already the case that, you know, it's distributed systems right. are, the, are smart because so the grids don't, the grid doesn't exist. So why, right. why build it? It's just, I mean, obviously, for industri- industry, it's one thing. I mean, you have so much industrial intensity, you can't generate power on site. I mean, I've been told the entire country of Germany, if you took all the wind and all the sunlight on it, it wouldn't be enough to power the infrastructure of the country. I mean, you clearly cross over at some point when you're that energy intense. Maybe you could reduce your energy intensity, but for all practice, a big factory can't generate on site its power. So, but for residences, maybe that's what you're thinking. I, I can generate enough. Right. I can reduce my footprint enough. Right. So I can generate enough. Power from renewables for most cases at my house. I don't really, my life doesn't stop if the grid goes down. It seems like we need to retrofit the entire world if we're going to support these 10 billion people who are. Well, I think retrofit suggests that you sort of tear out the old and put in the new. I think the new actually gets built alongside the old. So it's not like the old will go away. It's just, it's, we still have gas lines even though we ran electric lines. But I, I would, I would say if, if you look 30 or 40 years out, if we assume things like a really low cost materials, low embodied materials, they should be a lot cheaper than the way we've done things in the past. If you look out to there and say, e- economics is going to win over some long period, I don't care how much install, at some point somebody will tip and start investing in the stuff that's cheaper and they'll have a business advantage for doing so. So we know that some long period of time from now, we'll be on a sustainable, low-embodied energy, crustily abundant, advanced materials, advanced distributed renewable energy. Somewhere between here and there, a lot of a lot of capital equipment is going to become obsolete because the marginal cost of production of it is so much more than the new way of doing it, that the new way will put it out of business. So 
the phone company used to think that the phone system was going to last for 40 or 50 years or 100 years. They were, the, the copper wires were going to last for They didn't, right? They didn't have economic value for that long. Mm-hmm. So suppose we just have a bunch of devices all over the world and somehow they're all going to talk to each other and self-organize a network, okay? The problem now is we can't trust them all because people can put out devices which pretend to be other devices. Mm-hmm. And that's the, what Danny was saying. We used to trust the physical except for its reliability. Now we... Forget the reliability. We can't trust them because people have are malicious. So we somehow have to have a system with a bunch of devices, some of which we can't trust, which self-organizes into a network that we can trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's so, so trust is almost trust is almost the thing that's the hardest, right? And so you have to have you know self-organizing trust. Right. Yeah. The other thing is you really have to have something which prevents flooding. In other words, there has to be, if the system has no friction, anyone anywhere can interject as many packets as they want, then it's very, very vulnerable. See, that, that's the so fundamental you, weakness of the current people don't pay design. for anything. Mm-hmm. And yet it gives you a great property that it's very easy to, 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 to add to it. So, so how do you have a, how do you have a distributed wireless network that, that where you, 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 you provide friction where you, where you can? Well, people have to, people have to pay for, Pay something. It's mainly not money, but they have to. They have to get something that they have to use to, in order to send stuff to the system. So I, think I don't the, know how else you can answer the question that way. Is I think the technical solutions to it we see very clearly. I see. But what we don't see is the. I mean, what's the hard part is the economic right. underpinnings. You know, how does it get paid for? Why do people adopt it? Those kinds of things. But I think that it, it's very clear how to make a network that has. Is trustworthy even if it has components in it that are not trustworthy. So, for example, you might be able to send a packet only if you've done something for the network which costs you energy and time. Like what would that be? So you can send a packet only if you forwarded a packet. I mean, obviously that that has a startup problem because and it's it's too it's it's too much in equilibrium. But the point is, you can't exceed. You can't just go completely crazy without running out of something, right? right? Well, for instance, if you take the airline network, we don't have to worry about planes getting clogged with people so they can't take off because you actually have right. to buy a ticket right. to reserve a seat before you can right. get on the airplane. You might have so, to reserve a spot, and if too many people are trying to reserve, then the price might go up. Right. So that normally, as long as the bad things aren't happening, it doesn't cost anything. But an extremist, it's like it's like peak. That's what they do in the center of cities to prevent congestion. Is they have, but it, but right. it can. This is a network. It can be more dynamic. But then now we're going to need a central authority to, to enforce this, which probably has to be self-organizing and distributed. So it gets very technical. But the problem is that this is at the center of what you have to do because this is the this is the thing that causes the whole network to right. collapse. And it's not even in the concept of the system as it is. So the thing that's fundamental to this new network is a thing that's inconceivable in the old. Check out the related story just out in the March issue of Scientific American called The Shadow Web about attempts to build that alternate internet that can't be filtered or shut down. It's also available at www.scientificamerican.com. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet every time a new item hits our website. Our Twitter name is at Siam, S-C-I-A-M. For Scientific American's Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.